Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you that you have not left us alone in the dark, but that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, and you've given us your spirit so we may understand it. So as we think about our own identity and who you have created us to be, give us um, open hearts to receive these as your very words so that we may live faithfully with your Son. Um, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, an old friend of mine, a guy called Gary, he was on holidays on the south coast. Hands up if you've heard of Jervis Bay. Right, so he was holidaying with Jervis Bay with his parents and his mum decided to take a float in the bay on a lilo, one of these blue and red things that you can't buy anymore. The thing is, is that she fell asleep while floating in the bay and therefore didn't realise that the current was so strong. So over the course of an hour, the current took her out of the bay and into the open water, quite literally the ocean. It wasn't until a fishing boat called out to her, are you okay, that she woke up and she was rescued. It sounds silly to say, but Gary's mum needed an anchor to hold her firm so she didn't drift with the current and so that she could survive the chaos of the wind and waves. And so tonight, I want you to think about identity as an anchor. This is an anchor of um, the USS Eisenhower, a um, aircraft carrier. It's enormous. I want you to think of identity as an anchor. You see, this term we've been asking questions, the big questions of life, God and faith. And tonight's question, who am I, is the deep question. It's the deep question uh, and it's... um, Uh, And in our society, it's the one true moral absolute. That is, I can't tell you who you are, and you can't tell me who I am. Uh, It has a slogan as well, um, be true to yourself, or my favourite slogan at the moment, you do you. Um, And it really has to do with our identity, who we are as a person. You see, identity has these two overlapping ideas, a sense of who you are, a sense of self, and a sense of worth. Your sense of self are the things that are about you. You're a son, you're a daughter, um, those five things that you describe yourself. So, I mean, hypothetically, if you were a Jesus-loving hipster who loves coffee and cycling and moved to the Central West, hypothetically, right, that's your sense of self. But your sense of worth goes deeper than that. It's this self-assessment of your own value. You see, it's one thing to know who you are. It's another thing to actually like who you are. And so this is what identity is. A sense of self and a sense of worth. Your identity, how long that identity lasts, will usually be based on either of those two things. How firm your sense of self is or how long your sense of worth will last. Now, when we think about the question, who am I, we often ask, we often assume that it's actually just a thing that teenagers do, yeah? Like when teenagers are transitioning from um, uh, childhood to adulthood, they have this, these weird adolescent years, and that's something that they're wrestling with. But it's actually, it's actually a question that we ask ourselves all throughout our life. 
So as teenagers go into high school, they will ask this question, who am I? As young workers uh, go into a new job and they meet a manager that they don't like or respect, but they have to do what he says, they will wrestle with this question, who am I? As married couples uh, or as parents do life together through different seasons of life and the ups and downs, they will ask this question of themselves, who am I? Even people who wish they were married and aren't, or people who wish they had kids and don't, they will ask this question, who am I? When a lifelong loved one passes away, as a widow comes to grip with life alone, they will ask this question, who am I? Friends, if your identity can't give you real hope, lasting joy or peace, if your identity can't deal with the evil of this world or have an answer for death, then it's not an identity worth keeping. But the Bible teaches us that God has given us an identity, given us a real sense of who we are and a sense of worth and dignity. And it has a name. His name is Jesus His name is Jesus. You see, in the Bible, we see that Jesus is an anchor for our soul. A saviour who gives us an identity that is so strong, it helps us to not drift through the currents of culture, and it holds us firm in the trials that we face in life. So can I ask you again, who are you? No, 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 no. Who are you really? Uh, I think it's helpful for us to think about how we come to that kind of answer. So let's go to our first point, listening. Um, The question, who am I, is a modern question. As Western society, we've only really been asking it for the last hundred years. Um, A German philosopher called Martin Heidegger, uh, he wrote this in the 1920s. He said, the self, that's who I am, is heir to a history of possibilities that opens up. If only I could resist falling prey to the idle talk of others. Before the 20th century, we looked to the outside. So you look to community or family or what you can contribute to society or even to God to figure out who you are in this world. And then this weird thing happens where a philosopher comes along and goes, no, doing that is not authentic. You've heard that word before, haven't you? You do you, be authentic, just be yourself. He said to be authentic, we need to reject all of those narratives that family, society, and especially God put on us. And so today, as we've kind of trickled down from the 1920s, the sages of this world say to work out who you are, you look inside of yourself. You look deep down and what you will discover is a greater version of yourself. And that greater version has a clearer sense of self, a deeper sense of worth. And then when you think and live um, and act true to that greater version of yourself, then you will be authentic. We see it with the great philosopher, Elsa. She sung this. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Elsa is figuring out who she is in this world. And to be true to herself, 
she rejects all of those outside things. I think we like this because it puts ourselves in the driver's seat. We like this idea of uh, you do you, I do me. I'll find my identity deep down inside of myself because it frees us from the limitations of other people. It frees us from the morality of other people. It frees us from their right and wrong and this feeling of guilt and shame we might have because we feel differently. You see, the problem with the question, who am I, is not actually the question. It's thinking that we can answer it by looking deep down inside of us. A Melbourne theologian called Brian Rosner put it this way. He said, the biggest problem with the advice, be true to yourself, is that in order to do so, you need to already know who you are. And while these days more and more people are telling us to be true to ourselves, many of us have no idea of our true identity. So friends, can you see our problem? If we find our true self by looking down inside of ourselves, but we don't know who we truly are, then we won't find anything that will last. No, no, but worse than that, we'll start this downward spiral in search of the real me. And every time you think you find it, the sin in our hearts will make, it, make us dissatisfied with this version of ourselves. we'll be disappointed, we'll be disconnected for others, and then we start that search again, down and down and down. And so what we need is to short-circuit that thinking. We need someone to help us to stop us from going inside and actually to look outside and to look to God. Uh, So today, I want to give you two reasons why the identity that God gives us is better than anything we could find in and of ourselves. And we have that in Psalm 8. Uh, So the first thing that God gives us is a crown. If you've got Psalm 8, have a look in front of you. Verse 1, it's a psalm of King David and he writes this, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. David describes God like an onion with layers, like Shrek, right? Um, So first layer, God is capital L-O-R-D. This is used to refer to God's personal and divine name, Yahweh, the God of Israel. It means I am who I am. My essence and who I am cannot be compared to anything in all of creation because God is holy and completely other. Second layer, God is lowercase l-o-r-d. That is, he's master. He is universal king. He rules everything in heaven and earth because, well, verse 6, 7, and 8, he created all things and by their will they exist. He's infinite. He's awesome. He's majestic. He rules the universe, and yet he's a personal God because he's our Lord. God knows your name. God knows your inner thoughts. God knows the hairs on your head, the numbers of days you will have in this life, and God has given you a purpose. Why does David start and end this psalm speaking about the same thing? Did you notice that? He kind of bookends the psalm with this. Because to understand a creature, you need to first understand the creator. To know who I am starts with knowing who God is. And since God designed and created and gave everything a purpose, he is the one who is most worthy to answer this question, 
to help us discover who we truly are because God gives us an identity. And so we start with who God is and then we ask God, well, what's the purpose, God? And David actually does that in verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. What is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him? You crowned him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. One of the things I noticed uh, when my family moved from Sydney to Orange was in Orange there are a lot more stars in the sky. Uh, Well, okay, I know that there are the same amount of stars in the sky, right, from Sydney to Orange, but when you move out to Orange, you just see them all, and they are magnificent. Have you done this recently? When you look up to the sky... You are dwarfed to insignificance by its size, by the number of stars, by the beauty, and God rules it all. And I can only assume that David, being a shepherd before he was a king, would lay in the field at night guarding the sheep and look at the the stars in the sky and think about God. You see, while God reveals his character and his purposes to, to us in his word, he declares a universal truth that can be recognised by all. That God is God and we are not. That humans' power, authority and wisdom pale in significance when it comes to God. That we're not all powerful, we're not all wise, we're not in control, and actually we're fragile. We are weak. We are mortal. Yet, verse 5, he gives us a crown. Now, just to be clear here, David's not being postmodern, yeah? He's not saying he's searched in himself and he's found this crown so that he can figure out if he's a prince or a princess of the king. He hasn't done that at all. He's looked to God because God, because the glory of humanity lies in God's appointment. Humans are glorious because God made it that way and because he has appointed them to rule. And God has given us the ability to rule. Uh, You see, David here is referring back to Genesis 1, that men and women are made in God's image. Um, In the ancient world, an image bearer was a representative of the king, one who would rule on his behalf. So, okay, far reach, but I'll see how we go. The movie 300, yeah? Yeah. In the movie 300, there is um, an officer, a Persian officer, who comes to Leonidas. He is an image bearer because he represents the king of Persia. What does Leonidas do? In this amazing manly act of feet, he kicks him in the chest into a hole and he dies. And at that point, he wages war. He's killed the image bearer because he represents the king of Persia. When Genesis 1, when God says that male and female are made in God's image, that they are image bearers, God is saying that we represent him to the world. And we do that as we rule the world on his behalf. So men and women are created different, but they are equal. God made them both in his image to rule over his creation, and he's given this ability to do that. So we are the only species on earth that has domesticated animals, yeah? No other species has cats and dogs as pets. We are the only species on earth um, to live in every climate on earth. 
even though I'm still getting used to orange. Um, We are the only species on earth to make cities, to cure diseases and make art. But it's not in these unique abilities or intuition that our glory lies. It's the crown that God has given us. So who am I? Well, first and foremost, I am an image bearer of God alongside all of humanity, regardless of your nation, your ethnicity, the language that you speak or your religion, you are made in the image of God. You have dignity, worth, and because of that. Think about this pen, right? What's this pen used for? It's used for writing, right? So you don't use it to clean your nose. You don't use it to clean out your ears. Um, Even though some of our high schoolers do, you don't use it as a crossbow, to shoot things, it has a purpose and likewise you and I have been created with a purpose to rule God's world on his behalf. You see, Western secular society recoils at this idea that someone could name you or tell you who you are. They argue that everyone has this unique set of feelings and desires and intuition and by telling someone, by giving someone a name or telling them someone who they are, it's just being unauthentic. But the reality is a unique identity that comes from within yourself is actually an illusion. You can't choose an identity within yourself because identity doesn't come from feelings. The truth is it comes from the feelings that you choose. So why do you choose some feelings and not others? We say, oh, it's just me being my authentic self, right? Like, I don't have milk in my coffee because, one, it tastes better, and, two, I'm just being my authentic self. You go, well, Chris, your authentic self is a coffee snob. But what I'm just reflecting is the culture that I've lived in. Ultimately, we decide... uh, Ultimately, you are deciding what your culture has taught you to be your authentic self. So whether you consider yourself as conservative or progressive or somewhere in between, your authentic self won't be as unique as it feels to you. It actually will just reflect the culture in which you were taught, um, in which you were taught things to be true. Uh, And usually what happens is actually what we feel like our authentic self should be is actually just some sort of projection that we hope the world will be like. You see, friends, we are always being discipled by something, whether it's the news, uh, Facebook, Netflix, our friends and family. Culture is teaching us who to be and how to live. And in answering the question, who am I, we need to first look at God and see what he has to say, which means what God has to say about gender and sexuality actually matters. What God says about marriage and relationships actually matters. What God says about the sanctity of life in its early days and the seriousness of death, what God says matters. You see, God gives us this identity made in the image of God. It's stable, it's glorious. And he also gives us another identity, this second identity he gives to us in Jesus Christ. So Hebrews chapter 2 will come up on the screen and I'll read a little bit for us. 
But someone somewhere has testified, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honour and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subjected to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. Someone somewhere has testified. Yeah, Psalm 8. Well done, writer of Hebrews. Um, The reality is, currently, we don't see humans crowned with glory. We don't see all things under the rule of humanity. Why? Because Genesis 1 is followed by Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, the first image bearers, didn't fulfill their roles in ruling over God's creation because they failed to live under the rule of God. They rebelled against God and his word, that is, they sinned, and in seeking to live their own lives, their own way, you be you, without him they fell under God's judgment. And so creation fell, and currently is not subdued or perfectly under the rule of God. And so we as humans, we feel this, don't we? See, we see the consequences of sin in our world. And if we're honest with ourselves, we sin as well. We see relationships fractured by sin. We see people trying to make their life their own identity without God. We see loved ones who suffer. We stumble through this life with sickness and pain and war and disasters, pandemics and death, wishing that something would change, which is why Jesus stepped into this world. Have a look at verse 9. Next slide. (laughs) But we do see Jesus, made little lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honour because he has suffered death. If we could keep that slide up there. Um, The comparison is not a coincidence. It's a fulfilment. By quoting Psalm 8, the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus Christ, our Saviour, is the perfect representation of humanity. He's the perfect representation of what it means to be human. He's the one who had figured out the question, the answer to the question, who am I? Because while Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. He slept, he grew, he matured, he ate, he went to the toilet. He was a chippy from a little town called Nazareth in the country, and he was even an asylum seeker in Egypt as a child. And as his ascension, he is crowned with glory from God the Father and becomes the ultimate image bearer who rules over all creation. You see, what we as humans got wrong in Genesis 3, Jesus got right. And so Jesus becomes human first as a perfect representation of an image bearer to teach us what it means to be human. And second, because we need saving from sin. See, in his death on the cross, the shedding of his blood was a complete payment for sin. And in his resurrection, he declared to the world that he had defeated sin and death. So that when we ask God to freely forgive us of our sin, God can freely forgive us of our sin because the punishment has already been taken. Therefore, those who have faith in Jesus Christ are given a new identity. Who am I? Well, through Jesus, verse 10, I've underlined it, I am a son or daughter of God. You see, the foundational identity of being an image bearer 
is only improved upon by the identity given to us by Jesus. As broken people, we are welcomed in by Jesus. As fallen people, we are raised up by Jesus. And as guilty people, we are pardoned, forgiven and freed from sin in Jesus. It's an identity you can't earn or achieve, and it's only received through faith, which means it's an identity that is stable. It's an identity that's stable because it's not based on how I'm feeling. It's not um, uh, an identity that's based on my achievements or my abilities. It's not an identity on the power or size of my faith but it rests on Jesus' shoulders alone as he dies on the cross. This is a bigger and better identity because it's stable and can't be taken from us. You see, Western secular society esteems the identity that is achieved. You see, when we look deep in ourselves, we find this desire, this desire to be liked, to be admired, to be right, to be in control, which is frightening because... It's part of our human nature to be liked and admired. And it's frightening because if your identity is based on your dreams or your achievements, then you have to achieve them at all costs. If your identity is based on your possessions or your power or your prestige, if your identity and sense of worth comes from being successful at your job or your athletic ability or being a good spouse or even the success of your children then you will need to sacrifice everything you have in life to maintain that identity. You won't, And when you don't live up to your own expectation, you will crush yourself under your own weight. You see, looking inside of ourselves to find our identity is actually a burden. Friends, it's a burden that you should never have to bear Because Jesus has given us a better identity. That is, a child of God. And it's not something that we earn. It's not a burden for us because it's a gift of God's grace. So in Jesus, you are more than your achievements and your your, um, aspirations. In Jesus, you are more than the hurtful words that other people have said about you. In Jesus, uh, you are more than your own expectations. And in Jesus, you are more in the things that you have achieved and you have failed to achieve. Who am I? I am made in God's image. And through Jesus, I am a child of God. But what happens if you're a Christian and you don't rely on this new identity that God has given you? What if you're someone who has faith in Jesus but you don't seek to live out that identity. Ultimately, those other things that you have in your life that you find your identity in, they will become your gods. Not the good God who created you, who loves you, who sustained you and has given you salvation in Jesus, but they will become your gods. And you will put your, your, yourself through hell trying to keep a hold of those things. And so, friends, find your identity in Jesus as a child of God, free from sin and made right with him. Um, 
just to finish with, linking to others. Uh, how does this kind of help us to live in the world and engage with others? Uh, remember I told you that story about Gary's mum, you know, fell asleep on the lilo and drifted out into the open water. She needed an anchor. Uh, that is, we all need anchors. We all need an identity that is strong enough that will stop us from drifting through this, the culture of this world, uh, and also something that will help us to survive the trials and chaos of this life. And so just quickly, um, Jesus is our anchor, uh, our anchor for the soul. Uh, two things, just quickly. Uh, one about Jesus and one about us. Firstly, about Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate ruler, appointed by God. He's the heir and has the rights to everything. He rules all people. And we find our identity in him. But how do we grow in that identity? If we're someone who has faith in Jesus and he's given us this new identity and he is Lord of all who is crowned in glory, we grow in our identity by submitting to his rule. You see, Jesus is not just our saviour, he is also our Lord and calls us to live under his lordship, which means we take sin seriously. It means that how we think of ourselves and how we think of others, we take that seriously. And we take the word of God seriously as well as we seek to live under Christ's rule in this life. So that's one thing about Jesus. Second thing about us. Remember I said that, you know, the question of who I am is about identity. It's the sense of self with a sense of worth. You see, we are made in the image of God and given this new identity in Jesus. And so the identity that we find in Jesus will give us a real true sense of self and a true sense of worth. See, the reality is you will never have just one thing in your identity. We don't work like that. Uh, Often um, our identity is like a pack of cards and everything we do in life is added to that deck and then we need to sort through the things and figure out what's the most important thing. And so if Jesus is um, the risen Lord... If he has given us this new identity to be a child of God, it means that he needs to be the supreme one in our identity. So I feel like it sounds crass, but it's worth asking. I mean, are you a teacher who's a Christian or a Christian teacher? Are you a doctor who's a Christian or a Christian doctor? Are you you someone who goes to school and is a Christian? Or are you a Christian student? Are you a parent who's a Christian? Or a Christian parent? Is Jesus' this newfound identity we have in Jesus the supreme identity that shapes all of the things in your life? That's not an easy thing to do, so how about I pray that God would help us to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you that you have not left us alone in the dark, but that you have um, revealed yourself to us in your word and you've shown us who we are. And so we thank you that you have bestowed dignity and honour and value by making us in your image. We pray that um, as we have faith in Jesus, that you would renew and restore this new identity that you have given us. As, child, as children of God, you would help us to live under your, the rule of your Son for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.